Our second reading is from Romans chapter 8, verses 18 to 30, which is on page 972 of your church Bibles. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. For the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we, are, we were saved. But hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know that w- what we ought to pray for, But the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans, and he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the first firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. Those he justified, he also glorified. This is the word of the Lord. I feel like I'm a little girl at a party whose dad's asking her to leave early, and I'm throwing a fit. I'm not afraid of dying. Um, I just don't want to go. My name is Kara Tippett. I'm 38 years old. I have four amazing children and one excellent husband. Scoot over. And I have been battling cancer for the last two and a half years. Her last two years have been uh, very stressful. Now having her enter hospice and thinking through what it's going to be like to live life without her. Kara is... Kara before cancer was... <laughs> I got it. I memorized it. Vivacious and amazing and... <laughs> no, 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 I answer it. Okay, you don't get I was helping you. She has always been very beautiful to me. Her fun personality. And she always loved whoever was in front of her. You're talking about me in the past tense. My mom's hair fell out because of chemo, I think. I had really long, beautiful blonde hair, and I didn't realize how um, valuable it was to who I was until I lost it. It made me shy in a way I'd never been shy. Who am I without hair, without breasts, without a uterus? Am I still 
I, do I still have value? Mm-hmm. This is not supposed to be the story. The world says I should be angry, that I should be shaking my fist at God, but I want to be able to share this story that suffering isn't a mistake and it isn't the absence of God's goodness because he's present in pain. I got something in my hand. My mom has cancer and she's had it for um she's had it for a while and now she's gonna have it for the rest of her life. In the beginning we just decided to speak honestly and frankly with the kids not give them too much that their age can't bear. But all of them now know that mom's dying and that I have cancer. I don't want you to go. I know. Um, we all want more time. We all pray for more time. Uh, seeing her um, give back to people and, and to write her book has inspired me. Um, she's shown me what love is. I don't want her to leave. I don't want her kids to be without her. I don't want Jason to be without her. I don't want this world to be without her. Jason shows me the best of what life has to offer, mostly in encouraging me to fight for a soft heart. I know I've got cancer. I know I'm going to die of it. Um, but I also know that I have today, and, and in this today, I get to live well. David died on the 22nd of March, uh, three years ago. She was a remarkable woman. Her faith in the midst of suffering changed lives of people all around the world. That book, The Hardest Place, has changed many of our lives. Uh, My favorite quote from her is this. She said it on the video. Suffering is not a mistake. Suffering is not a mistake. Suffering is not the absence of God's goodness because God is present in your pain. She believed that, she lived that, that God is present with her in her pain. The same as uh, Joni Erickson Tarder, who has spent the last 40 years confined to a wheelchair after a tragic accident. She says this, God has chosen not to heal me but to hold me. And the more intense my pain, the closer I feel God's embrace. God is not absent in suffering. He's present in your pain. And I can testify to that as well. Suffering was the word I used to describe my childhood. When I was six, my brother, my eight-year-old brother, was diagnosed with cancer. And in those days, you didn't see your family for two years. When I was 11, my father had an operation that went horribly, horribly wrong and that left him brain damaged, kidney damaged, liver failure for nine long years that we nursed him until he died. My sister is the victim of two abusive marriages. I personally have watched three of my boys being born very prematurely and seeing a 1.6 kilo baby in NICU is heartbreaking. Live with betrayal and lies, hurt and suffering. But I can testify that God is present in my pain. 
And I can testify that the, the more intense the pain, the more he holds me closer to himself. And that is one response to suffering, you know. That's one response to suffering is to, to run to God, to trust God, to say, God is my refuge and God is my strength and God is my very present help in times of trouble. Psalm 46, we will not fear because God is with us. But I'm guessing that that response of trust God, find your comfort in God, find your strength in God, I'm guessing that response would infuriate many people here. Like it infuriated Stephen Fry. Remember that interview that went viral three years ago? Stephen Fry was interviewed and he was asked, you walk up to the pearly gates and you're confronted by God, what would Stephen Fry say to him, her or it? And he replied, I'll say bone cancer in children, what's that about? How dare you, how dare you create a world that has such misery that is not our fault? It's not right, it's utterly, utterly evil. Why should I respect a capricious, mean-minded, stupid God who creates a world that's full of injustice and pain and suffering? And it went viral because many people agree with him. Why should we trust a God or respect a God when there's suffering and there's pain? That's the topic we're grappling with tonight. If God is all-loving, why is there so much suffering and evil in the world today? We've been running this one question for God now for four years, and every single year the most popular question is suffering and pain and injustice and evil. This year, why has my child got cancer? Why is my mother dying? Why is my family being torn apart by suffering? I do, want to do, I do want to deal briefly with Stephen Fry's question. The problem with Stephen Fry is that he is claiming to be an atheist, but then creating this God that he wants to blame and abdicate, abdicating all human responsibility. He assumes that this God that he doesn't believe in can have no purpose in suffering. He assumes that this God that he doesn't believe in is powerless to stop the suffering. And he assumes that this God that he doesn't believe in deliberately created the world with appalling, undeserved suffering. But the, the Bible is very clear that when God created this world, it was perfect, it was good. And, and God would agree with Stephen Fry that this world is totally messed up. This is a world full of pain. We can't just blame God for everything. I love this quote. To blame God for natural disasters and childhood cancer is like blaming the landlord after tenants have trashed their house. We cannot abdicate all responsibility for suffering and pain in this world. So how would the atheists answer this question? Here's how the atheists would answer it. The atheists would say, well, it's just luck. It's potluck. Richard Dawkins says, in a universe of electrons and selfish genes, some people are going to get hurt and other people are going to get lucky. And you won't find any rhyme or reason in it, nor any justice to it. Now, where's the comfort in that? Where's the comfort in the atheist answer to suffering? Uh, good things happen and bad things happen. It's just luck, so just suck it up. What about our human logic? Our human logic says something like this, you know, 
if God is all loving and if God is all powerful, then, then, then he must stop suffering. So if God is all powerful and he doesn't stop suffering, he can't be all loving. And if God is all loving and doesn't stop suffering, he can't be all powerful. That's how our human logic works. The problem with that is that we don't know everything. We like to think that we know everything, but we don't know everything. We are creatures with limited knowledge. And the flaw in our logic is that because we're not all-knowing, there are some things like evil and suffering that we don't know the reason for, and we may never know the reason for, because we're not God. And that's why I find the Bible refreshingly real. Tim Keller says this. Christianity teaches that contra-fatalism, suffering is overwhelming. And contra-Buddhism, suffering is very real. Contra-karma, suffering is often very unfair. And contra-secularism, suffering is actually meaningful. There is a purpose to suffering. And if faced rightly, it can drive us like a nail deep into the love of God and into more stability and spiritual power than you can ever imagine. So I want to start by saying that suffering is real. We live in a messed up world with evil and suffering. Now think back over the last hundred years, World War I, the genocide in Rwanda, the killing fields of Cambodia, 9-11, tsunamis and earthquakes and Murder and rape and terrorism and cancer and AIDS and Ebola and kids born blind and bullying. That's just the world that we live in. But that's out there. What about in here? What about you personally? You know, I know you. I've sat with you. you there are people here who are suffering right now. Chronic pain, cancer, infertility, unemployment, loneliness, domestic violence, abuse. What is suffering? Suffering is anything that causes you pain, anything that hurts you, anything that irritates you. Now, suffering isn't just all the extreme stuff. For some people, a sore throat can be suffering. For other people, it's the, the suffering or loss of a loved one. For some people, slight disappointment is suffering. For other people, it's a devastating loss. There's a spectrum of suffering. But whatever causes you pain and you hurt and irritates you, that is suffering. And surely there's times in your life when you have suffered and you're crying, God, where are you? What are you doing, God? Are you good, God? Are you loving, God? Please stop this, God. And surely there are times when you want to know, God, why didn't you make a world without suffering? Why didn't you make a world without evil? And as soon as you ask that question, your answer is, well, actually, you did. Now Genesis 1 verse 31, the seventh day, it was very good, it was perfect. There was no pain, there was no evil, there was no suffering. And then sin entered the world. Now that is important. If you rip Genesis 3 out of your Bibles, if you rip the fallout, then, then just perhaps we could blame God. But ever since the fall, ever since we messed up, this world has been messed up. It is groaning. We live in a, a world of moral evil where people choose to be selfish and people choose to be uncaring and people choose to be hateful and abusive and that leads to pain and suffering in other people. The stats are quite staggering that 95% of the suffering in this world results from the sin of other people and ourselves. Only 5% is random. 
Let, let's take tonight, as we sit here tonight in the comforts of Kiribati, hundreds and thousands of people on the other side of the world are dying of hunger and starvation. Now, why is that? Now, our world produces enough food every day to feed every human being with 3,000 calories a day. It's just that around the world, people are greedy and wasteful. As we sit here tonight, there are people who have been shot by young men storming into schools with a gun and just firing around it. Why is that? What if that hand that pulled the trigger on that gun actually put out a hand of kindness and compassion and goodness? The world would be a much better place. See, we live in this world where there is moral evil, there is natural evil of earthquakes and tornadoes and cyclones. That's part of living in this fallen world. Romans 8 describes it as creation is groaning. That's a good word. And creatures are groaning, saying, when will this world end, Lord? That's the reality of the world that we live in. It's messed up. And that's the reality of the world that Jesus lived in. Jesus lived in a world where he saw the lame, the deaf, the mute, the bleeding, the the blind, the, the dying. He saw hypocrisy and injustice and violence and he hated it. So suffering is real. Let me have a pastoral moment. Please, if you are suffering, please, please don't ignore your suffering. Please don't pretend everything is okay. If you are suffering, it is okay. It is more than okay. It is right to express your sadness. It's right to express your grief and your despair. And yet it's even right to have an anger. Why? Why? To be honest, many times in my life I've just cried out Psalm 44. It's on the screen. Awake, Lord, why do you sleep? It's a great verse. God, rouse yourself. Don't reject me forever. Why do you hide your face, God? Why do you forget my misery and my oppression? There's moments in life where you feel that God has left you. Tell him. If you're suffering right now, can I say that the Psalms are the best place to go to because you'll find in the Psalms nouns and verbs to describe your pain that I've never found in any of the book ever written. Now I'll tell you what you don't want when you are suffering. When you're suffering, you don't want some well-meaning Christian to give you a trite Bible verse. My father died when I'd been a Christian for three months. And someone sent me a card the day after he died, or handed me a card, a Christian. And inside was Romans 8, 28. We know in all things God works for the good of those who love him. And I thought, yeah, I know that, but I don't want to hear that right now. I want to hear about God's comfort and God's grace and God's kindness. Even worse than that, six and a half years ago, our precious baby was one, was one day old. I was in NICU. A connect leader from this church texted me a verse, Romans 8, 28. God works for good. And I wanted to slap them. Because <laughs> when you're in the midst of pain, you do not want a Bible verse just slapped in your face. What you want is compassion and kindness. And, and just a reminder that God is still good. And God is still loving and God still cares. 
And what you don't also want is you don't want people to tell you that your suffering is a result of your sin. You know, the book of Job, his so-called friends who loved him by saying, come on, Job, dig deep into your life, work out what's causing this sin because you're suffering, because your suffering is a result of your sin. You don't want that, do you? Let me be very clear here that sometimes we do suffer because of our own stupidity. Sometimes there is a correlation. Sometimes we do read what we sow, but not always. And how dare we, how dare we assume that someone has made a bad choice or done something wrong and that's why they're suffering. Our first port of call is compassion, not condemnation. So suffering is real. Number two, suffering is not good. But God can use it for good. Suffering is really not good. Let me be clear on that. Suffering is not in itself a virtue. Suffering is not in itself a sign of your holiness, like some Christians would say. Oh, you're suffering, so you must be more holy. That's rubbish. It is never good to be sick. It's never good to be sad. It's never good to be abused or mistreated or maligned or marginalized. It always hurts. There's a but there, though. But God can use it for good. That's what the Bible says. Now, again, don't mishear me. I am not saying that you need to suffer in order for God to produce some good things in you. I'm not saying that. Dr. Clifton, who's a Christian man who's also a quadriplegic, he says this. There's a world of difference between good can come from my suffering and Suffering is necessary for good. Yes, good has come out of my suffering. I've experienced generosity and compassion and love and care. But you know what? God could have taught me all those things in some other less painful way. So what are the good that God can bring out of your suffering? Let me just do three quick things. Number one, he can use suffering to draw you to Christ. He often uses suffering in a person's life to to shout, I'm here as C.S. Lewis says, God whispers in our pleasures, speaks in our conscience, but shouts in our pains. It's God's megaphone to rouse a deaf world. At the end of Job, in Job 42, there's a beautiful verse where Job says, Before my ears had heard of you, but now my eyes have seen you. He's saying, before my suffering, I knew about you, God. I'd heard about you, but... As I've gone through my suffering, my eyes now see you. I've experienced you, God, in a new depth. And I get I could give countless stories of testimonies of men and women who have come to faith through their suffering. Mahia was here this afternoon at 3.30. He came to faith through his suffering. My friend Robert Taylor, he came to faith after his son was murdered. The Bali Nine, Andrew Chan, was not a believer when he went into jail. But he came out to his death sentence singing Amazing Grace, How Sweet the Sound That Saved a Wretch Like Me. He came to faith through his suffering. And maybe that is you here tonight, that God took you through pain and hardship to say, come to Christ. Now again, God could have done it some other way, but often he uses suffering. The second thing, and again, we don't like this, is that the good that comes out of it is that God makes us more like Jesus. Romans 5 verse 3 says this. 
We glory in our sufferings. How do you do that? How do you glory in sufferings? Because, he says, we know that suffering produces perseverance and perseverance character and character hope. It's like a ladder. You know, that as you suffer, then, then you, you develop this perseverance or this endurance and then God grows your character and he changes you and he shapes you and he molds you and he reminds you of the hope that you have. That's one of the purposes to, to prove us, to mature us, to grow us. It's the image used in 1 Peter chapter 1 of the fiery furnace where Peter says you put the metal into a fiery furnace. Why would you do that? Because when you heat up the metal, all the yucky stuff, all the impurities come to the surface and you skim off the impurities and you're left with a much purer metal. Now as you go through the furnaces in life and the pains and the hardship in life, Please go, don't go through those times without scraping off all these things about you you want to change. And all this suffering, we need to learn to ask God, what are you doing here? How are you at work here? How are you shaping me here? And one of the answers is Romans 8, verse 29. He is making us more like Jesus. He's preparing us to meet Jesus. Joni Erickson Tardis says this, every sorrow that we taste will one day proved to be the best possible thing that could have happened. We will thank God endlessly in heaven. I believe that for the trials he sent us here. This is not Disneyland. This is truth. See, one of the results of the suffering that God took me through, I think he was building empathy and compassion within me at a, at a young age. Being made head of the household age 11 is quite a tough call you know 2 Corinthians 1 says this praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort who comforts us in our troubles or sufferings so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God so when you experience comfort the comfort of God and the comfort of others in your suffering then weeks or months or years later God can use you to comfort other people and again I can I can recount endless stories of that and the third way that God uses our suffering is to lovingly discipline us and don't mishear me I'm not saying punish I'm saying discipline that, that gentle correction from a loving Heavenly Father. Hebrews 12 says, They, that's our natural fathers, disciplined us for a little while as they thought best. But God disciplines us for our good. He shapes us, He grows us, He matures us. So suffering is not good, but God can use it for good. And as Kara Tippett says, if you don't know God is for you, and if you don't know God is with you, and if you don't know God is good, if you don't know God is loving, then your suffering will be unbearable. But if you believe that God is with you, and you know he's for you, and you know that he is good, and you know in your head that he is loving, even if you don't feel at that time, then your suffering will be more manageable. She says you don't always know why. There are no simple answers. And sometimes you do have to say it is a mystery. But God knows. And I know the God who knows. Number three, suffering is not forever. You've got to, you've got to believe this. You need to hear this tonight. There will be a day when there will be no more suffering. 
There will be a day where there will be no more pain and no more injustice and no more poverty and no more cancer and no more cyclones and no more depression and no more devastation. There will be a day. It's just not today. Oh, how I wish it was. Why not? Why not today? If, if God has the power to end all suffering and end all pain, and end all, why not today? And the answer is, well, that would mean Jesus coming back today. And God in his wisdom has said in 2 Peter chapter 3 that he's patient, not wanting anyone to perish. I'm glad that he didn't come back a week ago because people wouldn't have been saved this week. I'm so glad he didn't come back 28 years ago because I wouldn't be there. But he has promised in Revelation 21 that there will be a place where there is no suffering and no pain and no grief and no sadness. It's called heaven. It's not called earth. And when you know that, even in the midst of the most debilitating suffering and sickness, it does change things. This will not last forever, you say. Romans 8 verse 18 I consider our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that, that will be revealed in us. I love that verse. Our present suffering, says Paul, and I think about that. Paul suffered shipwreck, hunger, thirst, beatings. He knew what it was to suffer. He says our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us then. And he doesn't say that the glory of heaven will make up for my pain now. It's more than that. It will be so glorious and so wonderful. It won't be worth comparing. Mother Teresa says this. In the light of heaven, the worst suffering on this earth, a life full of the most atrocious torture on the planet, will seem to be no more serious than one night in an inconvenient hotel. This world is not all there is. We are heading for heaven. And then lastly tonight, number four, suffering is not alien to God. God knows what it's like to suffer, and this is the big difference with Christianity. Now, this world is messed up. This world is not as God intended it. But rather than walking away from a messed up world, what did God do? He did not write a philosophy paper on suffering he didn't hand us a theological journal on suffering. God stepped into the world at the incarnation and God personally entered not just this world, he entered the world of suffering and he entered the world of pain. That's important to me in a real world of real pain. How could I worship a God who was immune to pain? Never understood pain. Now, Jesus was tired and hungry and harassed and persecuted and mocked and spat on and he was crucified. And so when I'm feeling broken, I go, and so was Jesus. And when I'm feeling betrayed, I say, so was Jesus. 1 Peter chapter 3, Christ suffered once for sins, the righteous for the righteous to bring us to God. He suffered enough physically, nails, whips, spears. He suffered the spiritual anguish of taking on the wrath of his father and he did it so that we might be free. Free from pain, not in the here and now, but free from pain for all eternity. See, that wooden cross is a perfect symbol to say God loves, God cares because he suffered for me. John Stott says this. 
I couldn't believe myself in God if it were not for the cross of Christ. The only God I believe in is the one that Nietzsche ridiculed as the God of the cross. But in the real world of pain, how could, how could I worship a God who was immune to it? I've entered many Buddhist temples in different Asian countries and I've stood respectfully before the statue of Buddha, his legs crossed, arms folded, his eyes closed, the ghost of a smile playing around his mouth. Remote, detached from all the agonies of this world. But each time after a while, I've had to turn away and turn instead to that lonely, twisted, tortured figure of Jesus on the cross. Nails through his hands and feet, back lacerated, limb wrenched, brow bleeding from thorn pricks, mouth dry, intolerably thirsty, and plunged in God-forsaken darkness. Now that is God for me. God laid aside his immunity to pain. God entered our world of flesh and blood and tears and death, and God suffered for me. And my sufferings become more manageable, slightly more manageable, in the light of his. And that is true. In the world of pain, go to Jesus. He suffered for you. But it's more than that. It's more than just 2,000 years ago. He suffered. And it's more than just he empathizes with our suffering because he's been there. It's more than that. It's more than just a close friend who sits there and just goes, hmm, yeah, well done. So the promise is that if you're here tonight and you've believed in Jesus, what's the promise you've got? It's not just that you are forgiven and you're saved. And it's not just that you are going to get to heaven. The promise is that today, at this moment, the Spirit of God indwells you. That God himself lives in you. That is the promise of the Bible. That in your suffering and in your pain, he's there right with you. He feels it. I don't get that, but as I suffer, he is suffering too. And if, if you're like me, there's moments where you just can't pray. You don't know what to pray in your pain. That promise from Romans 8 that at that moment where you don't know what to pray, that the Spirit of God grows on your behalf into seed is a beautiful verse. So God knows what it is to suffer. And I know I've only scratched the surface, but God, that suffering is real. Suffering is not good, but God can use it for good. Suffering is not forever, and suffering is not alien to God. But I do want to finish with a kind of a, a, a gentle challenge. So I meet many Christians who have suffered. And they just ooze bitterness and anger and resentment, and they're kind of living with it, they're fish shaking at God. And I meet other Christians who have this joy and this peace. And what you find is not that they haven't suffered. It's the exact opposite. is They've suffered lots. But in their suffering, they've run to Jesus. And in their suffering, they find joy in Jesus. And in their suffering, they found this inexplicable peace that comes from Jesus. So which do you want to be? The bitter, shake your fist, angry or that beautiful, joyful, peaceful. Jesus said, I've told you these things so that in me, in Jesus, you may have peace. Not free from pain, but that peace, peace with your God. 
in this world, you will have trouble. You will have suffering. You live in a fallen world. But take heart. I have overcome the world, says Jesus. We started with Cara Tibbs. I'll end with her. She's now with the Lord. She's free from her cancer. She's free from her pain. She's with Jesus, which is better by far. But her legacy lives on. I Googled this week, and even this week, people all around the world are reading her blog still, reading her book still, coming to faith. And I love how she ends that book. She says this. And I want you to believe this. She says, because I believe God's plans for me are better than what I could plan for myself. Rather than run away from the path that God has set before me, I want to run toward it. I don't want to try to change God's mind because God's thoughts are always perfect. But I need grace to think his thoughts. I don't want to change God's timing because God's timing is always perfect. But I do need God's grace to accept his timing. I don't want to change God's plan because God's plan is always perfect. But I do need grace to embrace God's plan and see how he is being glorified through it. So in your pain, in your suffering, we do need God's grace. And I'm totally aware that in this room tonight there are people at this moment who are in the depth of pain and depths of suffering. Please don't suffer alone. Please come and talk to me tonight. I'm going to be at the back tonight. I'd love to pray with you or pray with somebody. But remember, suffering is not the absence of God's goodness because God is present. God is present in your pain. Let me pray. Father, we cry out like like the psalmist, how long, O Lord? And Father, we do pray for people in this room tonight who are in the depth of despair, for those who are hurting so badly, for those who are suffering in ways that we don't understand. And Lord, I pray that you be their comfort and their strength, their rock and their refuge, their shield and their protector. Please bring healing Please, Lord, bring them through this. Help us as a church to show compassion and kindness to those who are suffering. And Lord, we do long for heaven. We long for the place of no sickness, no suffering, no sadness, no pain. And so we do pray, come, Lord Jesus, please come. Amen.